517. Warning. Access restricted. Please submit to DNA. Verification. Processing. Verification complete. Access granted. Welcome. Hello and welcome to the Monitor Room at the Christian Geek Central Podcast, a biblical examination and celebration of geekery and geek entertainment, as well as the official podcast of ChristianGeekCentral.com. I'm Peter Franson from Spirit Blade Productions, producing entertainment and resources to hopefully equip, encourage, and inspire Christian geeks like you and me to live in the freedom and purpose that Christ has given us. For more information about Spirit Blade Productions, you can check out Spirit Blade com or by checking us out at patreon.com slash productions. On the show today, my review of the movie Higher Power, which I caught this, the trailer, just discovered this movie a couple weeks ago, saw the trailer and was like, holy crap, this could really be my cup of tea. And so I look forward to sharing my thoughts on that movie with you. Um, and then also we're going to share some thoughts, we meaning my, myself and John Wilkerson, um, who's been joining me as we look at the book of Proverbs. We're going to share some thoughts about sexual sin, how Christians tend to talk about it, and why the Bible gives it some emphasis as we continue uh, in our journey through the book of Proverbs. All right, let's get to it. All right, this is... um, This is um, Audio Journal... Number five, since the incident, I'm still pretty sure I've developed some kind of superpowers despite the negative results in the last four tests. Um, I'm going to give it another try today after a trip to the hardware store. This is invulnerability test number one. Ah, 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 ah. Uh, Healing factor. This is healing factor test number one. Higher purple power, higher power. Uh, When the universe decides what it wants, says the description on IMDb, it's pointless to resist. With his family's life at stake, Joseph Stedman finds himself the unwilling test subject (laughs) of a maniacal scientist in a battle that could save the world or destroy it. All right. I saw this trailer as I was browsing Redbox a couple weeks ago. And I was like, dude, what is this? This could totally be my kind of movie. So I've really been anticipating checking this one out. Um, It's In terms of the story, the script, the pacing, and the tone, it's a a sci-fi superhuman drama is the way I would describe it. So I think they're going for something similar to um, Chronicle, maybe. At least that's what it looked like in the uh, previews, where it's not about um, like a superhero. It's about a person that has superpowers. But I do think that it was definitely inspired by comic books, or maybe they felt like they were being inspired by comic books. There was a lot of choices, stylistic choices, that were just very pronounced that made me think, are they doing this because, you know, this is, they're trying to give it a comic book vibe? It reminded me a little bit of the stylistic choices made in Ang Lee's 
uh, Hulk movie where it was very stylized, playing with comic book paneling and stuff, but, you know, giving them motion comic book paneling, you know. Um, and it was a way that I was like, ah, I, I'm glad that you're wanting to, like, draw from comic books as a source material, but I'd rather you didn't do that as a gimmick, you know. Um, so anyway, it, likewise, in this movie, I felt like some stylistic choices really got in the way of my enjoyment, unfortunately. The, the story basically involves this crazy scientist that believes that experimenting on Joe Stedman will, to, to, uh, to grant and then progressively unlock superpowers for him is the solution to this horrible future event that he believes is coming. Uh, but he puts Joe's family in danger in order to get what he wants from him throughout the movie. So it's a serious story throughout, following this broken and dysfunctional man under like horribly stressful circumstances. And as you would guess from the trailer, it eventually opens up into a large-scale superhuman sci-fi story as Joe progressively comes into these massive amounts of power by the end. Uh, so looking at that, I mean, that's a recipe to be my movie of the year. I mean, I really enjoyed a movie like, say, Upgrade, which was another story that was not about superheroes but was about uh, a man gaining superpowers. But the script here in uh, Higher Power. And the, the editing, the the storytelling style, and the direction, all of those things I felt were very stylized. And that can be good for me, especially in lower-budget movies where that uh, attention to style can help offset the low production values uh, of a lower-budget movie. Um, but style is given attention in this movie in ways that felt like they were sacrificing story and my potential investment in the drama. Dramatic moments and meaningful character interactions aren't given, uh, I don't think, the, 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 the time or, or the, to, uh, to breathe or uh, they're, they're not fleshed out in the script more. So sometimes motivations of character choices just didn't make any sense to me. Um, there was also a little bit of story logic that I was just like, I, I get it. I'm I'm walking into a movie where I'm going to see this dude get all, get all these crazy, you know, cosmic powers, you know. So, but but it needs to like have an internal logic to it, and I felt like that was uh, kind of missing in a few spots. Um, time is also given to visual elements that serve, I think, style over story like there's a there's a, a newton's cradle uh, which if you don't know what that is it's that desktop steel ball thing where it's got a bunch of steel balls hanging you drop one on one side and it makes the other one on the other side you know uh, go out and they go whack 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 back and forth you know so they were using like this motif of newton's cradle i think to kind of have some kind of cause and effect theme that they were going for, but they kept cutting away to it. And I was like, man, when you're editing a movie, these are ultimately precious seconds. I'm not even a filmmaker, and I know that these are precious seconds. Everything that they show you is a is a very deliberate choice. And I'm like, why are they spending time, even as little as they do, on this? And that's just one example. I felt like there was a lot of little peripheral things like that that were maybe going for some kind of a vague representation of a theme, but they, you know, they to me, they were just kind of like, it was filling, you know? It, it didn't pull me into the story or the characters um, more. So I think it could have been cut out and replaced with maybe just a few more seconds of breathing time during a conversation, you know, between two characters. The script also repeatedly teases some philosophical and religious issues that it never really goes anywhere with. Transfiguration. 
a word that's repeated. Deliver us is a phrase that's used. Uh, the idea of praying but not getting any answers. Higher power is the name of the movie, and that's a phrase that's also used a number of times in, in, in the story itself. Self-sacrifice. These are all words and phrases that are heavily tied to biblical theological issues and questions, and that are um, in this movie as well. But the film doesn't seem to make... Uh, much of a comment on them in the end. I kept waiting. I was like, okay, so you've set this up, this theme. Where are you going to go with it? What statement are you going to make on it in the end? Um, because it was not just like stuff that like me as someone who, you know, is interested in those kinds of topics of, of themes, especially as they get into the realms of philosophy and religion and morality and stuff like that. Uh, no, these were, these were blatant things that, that were part, they, they were set up in the movie and I felt like they didn't go anywhere with them. Maybe he didn't intend to, maybe he was just putting these things out there. I, I don't know, but I, I certainly wanted him to say something, you know, about like, what do we do with that? Like with the idea that you know, we're, we, we pray and we don't feel like we're getting answers, you know? Um, and, uh, you know, where is God in all of this? Where is God when things are going wrong, you know? Um, so anyway, I felt like those teases that the movie spent time on felt wasted. I kind of ra would have preferred they, they would just leave those teases out, not even bother presenting these uh, these kind of philosophical ideas at all, spend more time on, on character development. The movie also felt melodramatic to me at times, with the villain repeatedly kind of conducting this imaginary orchestra as he sat his, at his computer carrying out, you know, plans, you know. Uh, it was just kind of like, what what is that? little motif about okay so he's he feels like he's the master of this grand plan that he's orchestrating but we don't get any more sense of like who he is as a character and so he just kind of feels like this weird kind of two-dimensional villainy kind of thing the premise of this movie really lends itself to uh, this wonderful blend of, of sci-fi and drama that I would really appreciate and have appreciated in other movies that that go that route as the, the precious few number that that exist, um, and so there was a wonderful potential for that. Also, potential to touch on some meaningful topics, but so many style choices and omissions in the script kept me from uh, connecting to this movie. Uh, as far as the cast goes, Ron—I uh, don't know if you say Eldard or Eldard. Um, anyway, he's the lead. Joe Stedman. I've seen him, um, I think, in some, uh, when he was much younger, maybe as a guest, kind of playing a guest role in one or two movies. I've seen him in some TV shows. Most recently, I, th I saw him on uh, Justified. Uh, and I really enjoyed his performance in this movie, and I enjoy his performance when I see him in other things. He plays anxious and downtrodden so well. You know, he, he tends to play these kind of like pathetic characters who are sometimes doing bad things, but at the same time, you just kind of sense, man, they are just a broken mess of a human being, you know, and so you feel, at least I do, compassion for the types of characters that he plays. And, and he was certainly bringing back those kinds of vibes to this role. Uh, I love that he's not this great chiseled physical specimen, you know? He's the guy that ultimately through the course of the movie is gaining these superpowers. And he's a normal looking guy with a little extra weight, you know? I, I uh, So I, I just appreciated the casting choice in terms of his type and then also just him as a, as a performer I enjoyed. I would have liked more of him and less of almost everyone else. Um, it's not that we had like some bad 
acting in this that just made me cringe or anything like that, but it just kind of was like, I felt like placeholder. Here's the villain. Here's the boyfriend. Here's the daughter, you know. Um, the villain is mostly obscured, a little like uh, Inspector Gadget's nemesis or like a, some kind of classic Bond villain. I don't really know Bond movies. I'm just kind of guessing. Who spends the whole movie kind of sitting at a computer screen. Um the rest of the cast felt to me like a typical casting call for small one-shot roles in a TV show. You know, these beautiful people who may be tomorrow's leading men and women, but uh, I would have preferred character actors in all these supporting roles or, or performances with more complexity. Uh, some of that's on, you know, the time that was allowed and maybe on the directing and stuff, but uh, I'm guessing some of it was on the casting too. I just wish that the supporting cast performances that we got in the end would have been stronger. Uh, they largely felt like simple character slots that were being filled to kind of structure the plot on. They did not feel to me like real, interesting, properly motivated people themselves. Um, as far as the stunts and visuals, this as visuals go, this movie's purple. It is a purple movie. <laughs> purple everywhere. Or at least purple tinting when purple isn't present in almost every circumstance. Uh, and that was from the very start. It became intrusive to me very quickly. Uh, and and at, at some point I was like, I, I can't not see the purple. <laughs> every time it shows up, it's all over the place. Um, so a little too much there for me. The editing and visual style in general really stand out, but I didn't feel like they added to my emotional, my emotional investment in any way. Um, in one instance, well, at least two instances, makeup and hair felt off to me. I don't usually comment on this. I just noticed it in this movie. Um, and I think this kinds of thing happens. You know, I, I start getting nitpicky, I think, as we all do. Um, not because a movie is really worth kind of beating into the ground or whatever, but when the things that we care about in a fiction experience, when we're not getting those itches scratched, then our mind starts wandering, we start noticing the other things that we don't really like, and so it can really, it's easy to kind of pile on, but I'll mention this stuff anyway. Um, so the, uh, there was a, a scene with a cancer patient who was in bed near death, her hair and her eyebrows were gone, but her eyelashes looked like they'd just been made up, and, and she looked like she just had lipstick on, and maybe like some, some foundation, and maybe a touch of blush or something. She just looked too good in, in this scene where we're supposed to see her uh, her death on the near horizon. This is supposed to be this kind of intense emotional moment, you know, and she just looked a little too put together. Uh, likewise, the scientist boyfriend of Joe's daughter, who is very young, uh, doesn't give off an intellectual vibe to me at all in this movie, and he also looks too athletic and muscular, you know, kind of, to feel right in that role. I'm not saying that scientists can't be athletic and muscular. I'm just saying, in fiction, that's that's kind of not what we would expect, you know, and so I would expect there to be a reason for him in a movie to be, uh, you know, unusually, uh, you know, athletic looking. Um, and I think that that, in this movie, if they wanted to cast him, uh, fine, but I think that could have been de-emphasized with different wardrobe choices. Visual effects were cool and purple, and the, the movie goes to some spectacular places near the end, uh, and similar to a movie like Ultraviolet with Mila Jovovich, if you've seen that one, the overall stylization of the movie does help to distract from the lower visual effects budget that I assume they had. The filmmaker really seemed to make the best of what he had in the, uh, the, the realm of visuals in this movie. And given that this movie is his first as director, uh, with a long career before this, doing visual effects, it makes sense that he would do well with the visuals despite a presumably lower budget. And of course, it also makes sense that the storytelling wouldn't be the strong point of, uh, of, of 
a movie like this for someone that this is their first, you know, this is their directorial debut after spending a lot of time just working on visual, 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 visuals, you know. Um, I don't always comment on the... Um, the music or the sound of a movie, I want to comment on the music here. The electronic industrial score of this flick uh, would normally be a big plus for me. Uh, I really like that style of music, but it, here it didn't have enough variation for me, I don't think, and it kept kind of like a driving beat in moments that I would have liked something non-rhythmic and, and quiet, something that would bring out the drama or the just the, the a different mood, you know, for this scene. Um, and I think they did that a little bit. I just really felt like they they kept the, the music kind of driving and a beat constantly going when it could have settled down or when they could have done something out of tempo, you know, instead of keeping this same kind of driving beat. And I think that the music in this movie was a significant reason that I didn't connect as well as I could have uh, with some of the brief emotional scenes. All right. Um, now, if, uh, let's see. Oh, yeah. Relevance. <laughs> Is there anything of moral, philosophical, or spiritual significance going on in this in this experience that uh, might stimulate worthwhile thought or conversation? Um well, as I mentioned, the, this movie repeatedly seems to set up thematic issues related to God that it never really does anything with. The mad scientist, if you will, in his perceived absence of God, because he doesn't believe in God uh, either, basically wants to create a God in order to save humanity from this coming disaster. But he does so through these horribly cruel acts upon other people. Um, so maybe in his mind he's being benevolent, but uh, it's like, oh man, it's, it's... So, you know, you could look at that and say, okay, well, is there like an ends justify the means type of thing going on here? Or, or is there a statement being made when all is said and done that the ends do not justify the means. Well, I don't think the movie commits actually to one or the other. I was really kind of expecting it to, but it didn't, I, I don't think. It it never validates belief in God, um, instead having a focus on human potential, if anything, and yet the villain represents this atheistic ends-justify-the-means attitude. So where this movie is at philosophically when it comes to the questions it raises about God uh, it really is kind of a mystery to me. I feel like it just doesn't doesn't answer those questions, um, despite the time it spends kind of setting up those those topics. So if you're in a mood for like, uh, you know, a kind of like, what do you think the filmmaker was saying kind of conversation? This one might suit you, but I mean, good luck trying to build an argument that he was saying anything specific in the areas that he spends most of, of his time setting up thematically. Um, all right. Well, I have no idea what your tastes are in movies, but if I were a time traveler, I'd go back in time and say, Peter, um, okay, don't pay money for this, but keep an eye out for it to appear on maybe like a service you already pay for, like Amazon Prime or some kind of free movie website like 2B TV. Uh, it has enough ambition and ideas um, and uh, style in, in the, the visuals to be something that you can watch in your peripheral and kind of get something from, you know, maybe while you're just blasting rocks in No Man's Sky. But it's not the kind of the indie marvel that you'd hoped for, and it isn't worth your full attention for its uh, roughly 90-minute runtime. It's rated R for violence and language. 
I want to remind you guys to check out the other members of the Christian Geek Central Network, such as the Strangers and Aliens podcast, the Theology Gaming podcast, the Untold podcast, POSTOS, Helix Reviews, and the Retro Rewind podcast. I haven't done it in one breath in a while. I'm a little bit proud of myself. Uh, For more information about the CGC network, I should say the CGC. I think you're only supposed to say the when you have like a vowel following it. For more information about the CGC network, visit ChristianGeekCentral.com. Data collection complete. Activating Usenet 1.0. Well, just a heads up, guys, and some feedback in particular that I'm looking for. Tim O'Donnell, the uh, general administrator for Christian Geek Central, and I are doing some planning for the future and are interested in seeing some collaboration between Christian Geek Central and other Christian Geek content creators. Uh, Naturally, I hope to do some things with those in our own Christian Geek Central network that haven't been on the show uh, much before, but I also want to hear from you guys, you know, what other Christian Geek-oriented communities, sites, or individual creators do you enjoy that uh, you would like to see Christian Geek Central kind of intersect with in some way. So you can send me your feedback on that, uh, as usual, at P-A-E-T-E-R at spiritblade.com, or just uh, leave a comment. Um, gosh, I was going to say wherever you find this podcast, but I don't necessarily get notifications if you just put your comments like on an iTunes review or whatever, but uh, yeah, maybe just stick to my email. Or you can go to the forums or... YouTube, you know, or whatever, but yeah, the safest bet. Let's I'll just we'll keep it simple. P A E T E R at spiritblade.com. Um also, speaking of spiritblade.com, our summer sale is still running until Friday, August 31st. You can get any or all parts of our Spiritblade Audio Drama trilogy for 20% off. Uh, more details about that at spiritblade.com. Of course, as I mentioned last week, you can get the whole trilogy, you can get our entire catalog, plus a boatload of archived special features. Just hours and hours and hours of content for being a patron of Spirit Blade Productions at the $15 level for one month. You can just do that for one month and it'll get you access to download our entire product catalog and a whole bunch of stuff that's been archived and is not available anywhere else. Uh, you can get more information about that at patreon.com slash spiritbladeproductions. At youtube.com slash christiangeekcentral this week, I've put up my video titled Stressed Out on Easy Mode, believe it or not. <laughs> If you've watched my streams before, you're like, yeah, no, I believe that about you, Pater. <laughs> um, but this is part five of the live stream I did a few months ago that that's, that was my backlog burn for 2018, where I was went, going back and, and playing through uh, games that I haven't finished yet in some way, because, you know, some games you can finish quote unquote but i mean you know a lot of the games i like you don't really finish until you've gone around and mopped up every collectible and whatever else you know so uh, in this segment i'm playing through wolfenstein the new order which i have played all the way through before but there are two paths in that game that significantly change how the game is uh, you know what what the some some story elements of that game and i was really kind of surprised but it was still freaking the cra- it's those big robot dogs that freak the crap out of me and part of it is because i have my headphones on and it's just more intense and present <laughs> to me it just really feels like they're right there <laughs> 
but part of it is I'm just a big weenie. Um, but anyway, you can see me being a big weenie on uh, Stressed Out on Easy Mode, is the name of that video, uh, at youtube.com slash christiangeekcentral. And pretty soon after this podcast episode goes up, you should be able to get my review of Higher Power, which should be on the YouTube channel this Friday. I'm getting this podcast episode out a little bit early uh, because of a trip I have this weekend, which I'll mention a little bit later. But uh, anyway, Higher Power, that review, you should be able to find on Friday at youtube.com slash Christian Geek Central. And while you're there, if you want to like, share, and subscribe, or click that notification bell, that'd be awesome. Uh, I'd be very grateful, and that'll help you not miss uh, any of the video content that I'm put out. That that I'm put out? That I... Uh, that I put out on youtube.com... <laughs> Last Christian Geek Central, which isn't always the same. Um, there's, I do carry over a lot of that comment. I use the audio content from a lot of uh, my videos to make the podcast here. But there are little, you know, nuggets on this podcast that are exclusive to this place, this audi- auditory place that we are. Jeez, I don't know what I'm saying. And there are, there is now and then some video content, such as the uh, the live stream stuff uh, that you're not going to find as a part of this podcast. So some stuff there that hopefully you will enjoy if you enjoy this podcast. Um, anyway. Once again, youtube.com slash Christian Geek Central. Hey guys, interrupting here. After editing the entire episode, there I realized there was a couple things that I forgot to mention. Um, first up, the first patron decompression live stream is going to be this Thursday the 23rd from 5.30 to 7.30 p.m. for those uh, patrons at the $5 tier or higher. Uh, you can get more information about that at uh, patreon.com slash spiritbladeproductions. It's a monthly live stream where basically I just uh, invite uh, the $5 and up patrons to just hang out with me while I live stream some games. And rather than being in kind of an entertainer mode, it's me inviting you uh, into my office, as it were, as I decompress from the workday. We just talk. I blab about what's going on in my life. I listen and hear about what's going on in your lives uh so anyway that is available to patrons of the five dollar tier or higher more information at patreon.com slash spirit blade productions for everyone i'm doing my uh annual all-time favorite games live stream this coming friday august 31st that'll be on the youtube channel at youtube.com slash christian geek central i wanted to be sure and mention this now since there's not going to be Wait, is there going to be a show next week? I guess there will be. But, okay, I'm just mentioning this early then. (laughs) I'm all confused getting ready to go on this trip, um, which I'll talk about in a minute. Um, Anyway, that's going to be Friday, August 31st from 5... Jeez, I'm screwing this up. 5 to 9 p.m. Pacific uh, at youtube.com slash christiangeekcentral. I've added some new games to the list this year, including Monster Hunter World and No Man's Sky as of the next update. Uh, And I imagine I'll be talking about during the live stream why they became uh, added to the list and and games that really uh, changed the way I look at some aspects of video games in general. They had a huge impact, both of them in in the same year. That's crazy. Anyway, so my all-time favorite games live stream, Friday, August 31st from 5 to 9 p.m. Pacific at youtube.com slash Christian Geek Central. Uh, I hope you'll join me for that. Have I covered everything I wanted to cover there? I think I have. Let's go transition words. The truth will set you free. Truth is that which corresponds to fact or reality. To assert that truth is not absolute is a 
self-defeating proposition. Now, lots of things are possible, but our beliefs should reflect the best explanation of the available evidence. I'm no expert, but the information is out there. You'd be amazed what you can learn if you spend some time in search of truth. The truth will set you free. Well, right now we're going to attempt to examine the Bible and dissect some of what I would call the churchy language that uh, is easy to take for granted, digging into history and languages when we're able to try and get at the heart of the text so we can hopefully see and apply some of what God has for us in these words today. Uh, Now, we're not formally trained in Scripture, just a couple guys using resources and questioning minds to try and get at the truth. And that's something that we can all do, so I hope that you will do that with us. John Wilkerson from the Christian Geek Central community is joining me for a conversational series looking at the book of Proverbs. Uh, We're in chapter 2 of Proverbs right now, and we're going to go all the way eventually through chapter 5 before I uh, take a break and probably go to the book of James after that, and then maybe we'll come back to Proverbs when that's done. But we're just uh, in this series right now, just going 1 through 5 and uh, taking our time a little bit to make sure that we don't uh, rush through and uh, can hopefully uh, gain a little bit more from the text that way. So as I said, we're in chapter 2, looking at verses 9 through 20, 9 through, I don't remember now, we'll say in just a second here. But uh, anyway, I'll just leave it at that and drop in the next part of our conversation right now. Okay, so let's let's look at 9 through 22 then of uh, chapter 2. In the ESV that reads, Then you will understand righteousness and justice and equity, Every good path, for wisdom will come into your heart, and knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. Discretion will watch over you. Understanding will guard you, delivering you from the way of evil, from men of perverted speech, who forsake the paths of uprightness to walk in the ways of darkness, who rejoice in doing evil and delight in the perverseness of evil, men whose paths are crooked and who are devious in their ways. So you will be delivered from the forbidden woman, from the adulteress with her smooth words, who forsakes the companion of her youth and forgets the covenant of her God. For her house sinks down to death and her paths to the departed. None who go to her come back, nor do they regain the paths of life. So you will walk in the way of the good and keep to the paths of the righteous. For the upright will inhabit the land, and those with integrity will remain in it. But the wicked will be cut off from the land, and the treacherous will be rooted out of it. Okay, so a lot in that stretch. Um, yeah. What jumps out to you? Well, the, the first thing that I that I want to mention, uh, you know, this is uh, verses um, 16 through um, 18 and 19 are often passages that that people will look to and they'll say, "Oh, look, see how anti-woman God is." Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it's important to remember the number number one the uh, who this was written to, yeah. and then who the audience was. Okay, it was a very patriarchal society. However, Solomon was writing directly to his son, which is why he uses an adulteress as an example of, of sin. If if he had been writing to a daughter, his illustration would have been more of a man that, that commits sin. Yeah. And so I think it's important to pull that out and say, we're not equating women with sin. We're not, nothing like that. Um, 
and, and, and I think Jesus affirms that later on when you look through the passages and just see how many times women were used in the, in fact, I would say, you know, before Christ, uh, uh, ascends into heaven, women were used more in his ministry sometimes than his disciples were. Yeah. Uh, you know, they were the first ones who saw that he was risen from the dead. Yeah. So that's pretty important, you know, and, and it's pretty, you know, that shows that Jesus said, you know what, guys, you got it wrong mm-hmm. <laughs> with the way you, you set things up in order. So I just want to say that it's just as a way of illustration and, and, and nobody is saying that, uh, that women are evil. And, and he is also speaking specifically of an adulteress. So a woman who is outside the will of God, who is, uh, you know, whose, whose job it is <laughs> to, uh, to, to commit sin. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, these warnings against staying away from people who, who walk in sin, um, most people, if they're around people that are sinning, most people are not going to be be able to avoid that sin if those are the only people you're around. You know, we're not talking about going out and witnessing. We're not talking about. But if you are constantly around and you constantly uh, uh, place yourself in situations where you're where you're going to be tempted to sin, you're eventually going to be influenced by those people. And that's really what he's talking about. Avoid that path. Avoid those people. Um, and, and you know, talking about you know being cut off from God, we don't we don't want to be cut off from God, um, and and that's that's hard to think of. You know, if you think about it, that that's why Jesus said, if your hand offends you, cut it off. Mm-hmm. You know, this is a great example. You know, if if there's somebody around you that is causing you to stumble. You need to cut yourself off from that person until you get to a person, a place in your life, where you can go back and minister to that person. And uh, you know, we'll see this a lot more. I wonder if while Solomon was writing this, because he keeps coming back to the adulteress repeatedly yeah. through the book of Proverbs, and I wonder if he saw something in Rehoboam's life hmm. and said. I'm seeing something in you, son, and I need, you know, you need to be careful. Avoid this uh, because we're going to see this repeatedly throughout Proverbs where he where he comes back to the same illustration over and over again. And often, you know, just like any other parent, you're going to repeat yourself over and over to your children when you recognize a pattern of of uh, sin in their life that's going to lead them to destruction. And so you're going to repeatedly warn them and remind them to stay away from that. Yeah. And and I think it's worth coming back to the topic of sexuality. I might be repeating myself. I feel like I've said this somewhere, so forgive me if (laughs) if I'm saying this again. But, um, you know, I I think uh, for a time I felt like, like, oh, I got to be careful because... um, uh, people can get the impression that like the only thing that Christians care about is sex, and it's all <laughs> sex is bad, and we got to. There's this overemphasis on sexual issues, and so I think 
in wanting to avoid that overemphasis, um, there have been times where maybe I've, I've uh, gone too far and, mm-hmm. and, and steered away from, you know, really emphasizing what the Bible itself emphasizes. We don't want to overemphasize it, but let's recognize that the sexual drive, especially in men, is this very powerful, powerful yeah. thing, you know, and uh, especially so assuming that the, the original uh, initial audience here is someone that is perhaps entering into or are already into the most uh, sexually driven time, you know, of, of their mm-hmm. lives. And so, you know, we don't want to, uh, it's sexual temptation is it like it's a reality it's an ongoing long-term reality maybe you know your hormones settle down a bit but that doesn't get you out of the woods this is a really right. an intense and real thing you know um uh so yeah and there's and i think there's some indications of just the fallout from sexual sin that um that the the author wants to keep his son from uh, experiencing, you know, in verses 16 through 20, just the, the, the being unfaithful in our marriages can cause this discru- mm-hmm. destruction, this uh, self-destruction, this loss of life as it's meant to be experienced, you know, and, um, and so that really stood out to me. Uh, let's see here. Oh, oh, you know, verse 9 was interesting, just backing up a little bit, that uh, what's what I kind of observed from that is that wisdom brings understanding about what is actually right and just and fair, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, and and I, so I think that we can get a better understanding about uh, life and when we've really been wronged compared to, you know, those situations where we're like, you know, maybe there's another side of this I'm not considering. We get a better understanding of, of fairness, you know, and Mm -hmm. what is right and what is just and so that I think can help us deal with some situations where you know that we don't have control over. I think it can also help make us better influencers and leaders, whether that's mm-hmm. you know in church, in a social setting, in work. You know, if we have influence or or maybe actually responsibility to lead in some way, um, I think that having this better understanding of what is really right, what is really just, and what is really yeah. fair can help us navigate some of those bumpy situations where there's disagreement or hurt feelings or, or whatever and help us kind of uh, bring healing, you know, and understanding yeah. to those situations. Yeah. Um, just to jump back to the whole idea of, you know, why is sexual sin talked about so much in the Bible? Yeah. I, I was thinking about this the other day. I was in my men's Bible study group and we were, you know, farther along in Proverbs and, um, Sexual sin came up again in the book of Proverbs like it's wont to do. And I was thinking about it, and sexual sin is what I call the trifecta of sin because you're sinning against yourself, you're sinning against someone else, and you're sinning against God. Yeah. You know, normally when most sins, it's you might you might sin against your body, but most sins we don't sin against our body. Uh, and maybe maybe there's a sin again. I mean, we're all, it's it's always sin against God. And maybe maybe something that you're doing, you're sinning against someone else. So if you if you lie, that's a sin against someone else and God. But it's not really a sin against your against yourself. Mm. Um, but but sexual sin is it's a sin against your body, someone else's body, and and then also against God. You know, and so that's why I think it's it's so important. I I don't think 
I think it does often get overemphasized, especially when you, I mean, you can go through the Bible and find lots of lists of sins. And, you know, the, the guy oftentimes in a church, the person behind the pulpit, they're not preaching about gluttony, are they, if yeah, they're yeah. overweight, you know? <laughs> oh, <man>. Yeah. <laughs> you know, um, Christians statistically are the are are very overweight really? compared to the rest of the country. Yeah, I was mm. looking I was looking at numbers one time wow. and and so I mean, we need to think about that. We we really need to think about that and 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 consider that um you know, no nobody's talking about um uh the I mean there there are some churches that are talking about the refugee crisis here mm -hmm. uh and and what's happening at the border and actually looking at it from a Christian angle, but a study has shown that white evangelicals are the least likely to support allowing refugees into the country. Huh. And that is a sad, sad wow. state. And pastors aren't getting up and talking about that behind wow. the pulpit and the saying, refugees. you know, yeah, wow. yeah. So it's it's tough. It's yeah. it's it's really it's it's really tough, and 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 there's a lot of things. Sin kind of jumps out. I think I think we've kind of jumped on this on the uh, or the or sex sexual sin kind of jumps out, and I think we've jumped on it probably a little bit too much yeah. because we've had Roe v. Wade, you know, we've had the, these deals with abortion, and we've had uh, uh, no fault divorce. We've had all these things that have kind of built up. But the funny thing is, is like back in the sixties, the Southern Baptist convention, they were not opposed to abortion oh. when it was politically convenient. That's when they started opposing it. Interesting. And so, uh, you know, we, we really need to examine, um, when we are talking about sexual sin to make sure that we're not, you know, what, we're not doing it to try and number one guilt people, yeah. or to or to gain something out of it, yeah. right? The idea should be we want to point you to Christ and and, and how uh, your sexual your sex life should glorify God, you know, uh, instead of glorify yourself. Yeah, and and as you know, the the teacher in Proverbs, you know, emphasizes it's also for our own good mm -hmm. to uh, approach life the way God intended it. You know, when I see in verses 11 through 15, discretion will watch over, understanding will guard you, delivering you from the way of evil, from men of perverted speech. I mean, so wisdom protects mm -hmm. us from those who would try to manipulate us and take advantage of us. Right. And then I think that, you know, even though there's some discussion about the land and stuff at the end here, I want to bring out maybe a, a parallel. In verses 21 and 22, we've got, For the upright will inhabit the land, and those with integrity will remain in it, but the wicked will be cut off from the land, and the treacherous will be rooted out of it. So the context mm -hmm. of these Proverbs is that they, they were given, you know, first to an individual person, but they're also recorded for the nation of Israel, um, right. whom God promised a special land to, and although God will ultimately fulfill this promise through the physical earthly reign of Jesus, the mm -hmm. promise uh, to the land, uh, the promise of the land to Israel hasn't ever been completely fulfilled, right? Because Israel has been disobedient and derailed their progress uh, toward what God has for them. Um, the parallel, I think, for us is that pursuing wisdom keeps us on track toward the ways in which God wants to bless 
us. Yeah, while definitely. Our, while our foolishness derails us from the ways that God wants to bless us uh, as, as we suffer the consequences, just like uh, Israel did. They, they have not mm -hmm. been able yet to experience the full, very tangible blessing that God has wanted to to give to them. And, and the same principle, I think, applies uh, to us when we abandon wisdom. Yeah, absolutely. Feedback, feedback. Give me your thoughts on this podcast, Christian Geek Central, the YouTube channel, or anything else we're doing. What should we keep? What should we change? Or what's on your mind you'd like a potentially uninformed opinion on? I've got one of those. We want to make this show and all of Christian Geek Central as fun and useful as we can, but we have to hear from you to do that. You can send an email or audio file recorded on your phone to P-A-E-T-E-R at spiritblade.com. Uh, as a reminder, guys, if you'd like some help finding a good church in your area, I want to help you if I can. Online resources and communities are a good supplement, but by nature they can't speak to your particular situation like relationships in a local church can. The context for almost everything in the New Testament assumes that we are serving and building purposeful relationships in a local church. So whether you're in a church that lacks Bible-based intentionality or not attending any church at all, if I can help you get connected to an authentic, Bible-oriented church, I want to do that. You can email me at p-a-e-t-e-r at spiritblade.com, and uh, we can try to look at some websites of churches in your area together. Uh, all right, that's about it, guys. I am off this weekend. I'm putting out this podcast a little bit early because I'm off to my favorite tabletop gaming convention. It's a little two-man convention in Southern California called PenningCon, where I go out about twice a year and spend the weekend with my friend Mark Pennington. Uh, who was one of the Sanctafi. He was the growling Sanctafi, if you've listened to uh, Spirit Blade Dark Ritual and Spirit Blade World of Shadows. He also did a couple other voices uh, in those, but those are probably the, the ones that stand out to me the most. Uh, anyway, really looking forward to, uh, to that weekend uh, with him. Um, that's it. Stay tuned for DS9 Shawarma after the credits, or jump back to episode 400 if you want to start from the beginning. As a reminder, you can find episodes 0 through 500 of this podcast archived as the Spirit Blade Underground Podcast at spiritblade.com. Next week, if God allows it, uh, my I will present my top games, which will probably be top solo co-op games showcased at Gen Con 2018. If you're experiencing Deja Vu... It's because last week I said the same thing about this week. <laughs> it just didn't happen. Some of the uh, the places that I look at for their coverage after Gen Con uh, each year to kind of uh, give me some shortcuts so I don't have to just dig and dig and uh, just take a, a ton of time. Um, and one of those, the primary source, would be uh, the Dice Tower, which is run by a fellow Christian, Tom Vassell. Uh, but anyway... Um, they haven't released, f finished releasing all of their coverage and interviews from Gen Con yet, and uh, so I imagine there are they, they and a few other outlets haven't kind of gotten all their content out yet. And so my plan is to base, since I didn't go to Gen Con, um, is to let those guys get all their content out, and then I'm going to sift through it to specifically 
uh, pull out, see what interests me, do a little extra research on it, and then share with you guys my uh, top solo slash co-op games that appeared at Gen Con this year. So anyway, that's the why there's the delay in that, but I am very much looking forward to talking about board games for a change. I know I don't talk about tabletop games uh, as often as other things on this show. That's one thing I would love to feature more of, board game, tabletop game-based content. Hey, one way you can help make that happen sooner rather than later is by uh, supporting us at patreon.com slash productions. But anyway, as it is now, uh, I can't get to it as often as I'd like, and so I'm really excited, extra excited, to talk about some Gen Con tabletop games uh, next time. So hopefully that will work out. Uh, if God allows it, it will. Till then, please consider supporting the work of Christian Geek Central and Spirit Blade Productions and earning some fun rewards by becoming a Spirit Blade insider of any subscription tier at patreon.com slash productions. Thank you guys so much for making time for this show. I hope you have a great weekend, a great week, and that you'll join me next time here on the Christian Geek Central podcast as we continue to geek out and seek the truth. The Christian Geek Central podcast is a community-supported endeavor of Spirit Blade Productions. This podcast is produced by Painter Fremson with support from the Christian Geek Central community at ChristianGeekCentral.com. For information about the latest entertainment and resources from Spirit Blade Productions, visit spiritblade.com. Thank you for listening. Something's coming through the wormhole. The Dominion has endured for 2,000 years and will continue to endure long after the Federation has crumbled into dust. Five years ago, no one had ever heard of Bejor or Deep Space Nine, and now all our hopes rest here. With a title like Blaze of Glory, there's not really much of a mystery as to how it's going to end, but I still won't spoil it for you. You'll probably be able to figure it out, but... This is the last of the Maquis episodes, the last of the Michael Eddington episodes. In a lot of ways, Deep Space Nine has been spending these last few episodes for Season 5, tying off all the old loose ends before we bring up the Dominion War and the whole tone of the show changes for the rest of the series. So this is just one of the, the subplots from the first few seasons that they're wrapping up. And if you remember the Maquis, I did a whole Trek talk about the nature of it, so you check that one out if you want to know the details, but the Maquis were originally created because Voyager was going to be about two crews coming together. One of them was going to be a Maquis crew. So they created this whole group just so there'd be a splinter group that could be on the Voyager crew. And then Voyager did almost nothing with the Maquis. Uh, Deep Space Nine and Next Generation, which helped introduce the Maquis, did more with it. Unfortunately, even though Deep Space Nine probably did the most with the Maquis, they still kind of dropped the ball, or more accurately... They were given a ball they didn't want to deal with. But I'm disappointed because... If you remember, not long ago, the Maquis... Or I mean, not long ago, the Cardassians joined the Dominion. And since the Maquis had been you know, running freely in Cardassian space, harassing them... Uh, uh, the Dominion has struck back and just virtually wiped out the Maquis to the last man. So the only survivors seem to be the Federation prisoners in prison. As opposed to the prisoners running free. <laughs> Sorry. Um, 
and the really sad part is we've never heard about it until now and they and they refer to it so matter of fact like oh yeah remember that tragic thing that happened well no this is the first we've heard about it and it seems like they really dropped the ball on this i mean you would think maybe they would make this episode rife with flashbacks you know something like that like maybe oh off just off the top of my head um since this is all about cisco and eddington on a mission together you know they have some good conversations but how about instead of those conversations they have some barely f- safe ones uh, a couple standard but then they keep having flashbacks throughout and they they see or hear about the same events they're like cisco is in his office getting the reports and they're very clinical and detached and eddington is in prison and he's hearing the live the live reports on a base uh, he's hearing the actual sounds of his friends and comrades dying, being slaughtered by super soldiers, and he can't do anything about it. He can't even die alongside them because he's safe in prison. And to show that, and this really violates the show don't tell rule because they just said, well, that was tragic, and it was, you know, they, their noble last stand, and they were wiped out, and take your word for it. But barring that, this is actually a good episode to wrap things up with the Maquis. And again, what happens is, at the very beginning, General Martok has found out there are apparently, there's a final revenge strike the Maquis have been planning with these really powerful missiles that are cloaked, uh, impossible to find, and they're going to attack Cardassia. Problem is, if they attack Cardassia, then being members of the Dominion, the Dominion will strike back against the Federation and ignite... Um, Universe War 3, I guess you could call it. You know, just the massive war. And so Cisco's trying to prevent this, so they need to find one person. So they have Eddington, the high-level Maquis officer that Cisco got earlier this season. And they need to get him to uh, destroy these missiles. And so first, Eddington doesn't want to come, and then he comes along. And... So really, it's it's wrapping up the Cisco Eddington thing is because they it's all about debate. There's there's only some action near the end. Well, there's some beats of action, but for the most part, this is about two people debating. And really, in some ways, it almost sounds like Batman and Superman the way they would debate. It's not that the Maquis are all broody and moody, but they are all about trickery and sneaking. <laughs> Excuse me. Excuse me again, sorry. My apologies. Uh, They're about sneaking and tricking and using ingenuity and tactics. Whereas the Federation, they come in with their, you know, unlimited resources and state-of-the-art technology and their their noble ideals. So they are very much like Superman, but the Maquis are like Batman, where they got to sneak around and be outside the law, but they're still fighting for what they believe is right. And by the way, it might be added... Since the Cardassians joined the Dominion, I guess it kind of shows they were right to show that the Cardassians couldn't be trusted. Uh, so yeah, it's it's got that similar kind of thing where it's the idealist versus the pragmatist, and you know it's one of those again a good debate because there's not just one side. Myself, I would tend to favor the Maquis position because I know that a lot of times idealism, I I, I like idealism. And I, I, I lean toward idealism, but I also know that in the real world, a lot of times, pragmatism has to win out because otherwise it's not the idealist who necessarily will suffer. It could be other people who suffer. And to me, that's not very ideal when other people are suffering for what you refuse to do to stop the bad guys. 
And so that's why I think the Maquis actually do have a lot of points is they will get their hands dirty taken on the enemy. They won't just wave their fingers and say they're bad people but not do diddly squat because the rules say they can't. But you can make a strong argument for they're trying to give peace a chance. They're trying to not, you know, you don't poke the dog just because it's nearby. Things like that. Um, and so, yeah, this also becomes almost like the Federation versus the Maquis down to two men. Cisco and Eddington. And luckily, both the actors are really good and they're playing their parts well. And it never becomes like, it's not one person is dominating and the other person's always... It's like, no, no, they both get their hits in. They both have strong points. So it's a really good character piece. Both for Eddington and Cisco, and like I say, also for the Maquis and the Federation. There's a subplot in this episode, and on one hand, I like Nog. I like the growth Nog has had, but and I kind of like the ending of the thing, but there's a lot of stupid in this subplot. It's a comic subplot. And with the stakes of what they are, and what's going on, and life and death, and war, and all these philosophical points, they come back to a comedy subplot. Nog is, he's back from the Academy, uh, and he's going around, and he's trying, he's being assigned to different departments for a while, so now he's in security. And so, he finds that all the Klingons, General Martok and his people who are attached to the station, he finds them loud and obnoxious, as Klingons tend to be, and says, they don't show me respect, they don't look me in the eye, they ignore me, and he really hates that. Can't say I blame him, I don't like being overlooked and condescended to myself. But instead of trying to deal with it, Cisco says you should stand up to them and earn their respect. So what does Nog do? He's sitting in the bar, at Cork's bar, patiently waiting, listening to their sound for when the first time they cross the line and are officially disturbing the peace. And then he and it's just it's wackiness, pratfalls, doodly doodly do. You know, it's you want to see him get respect, but he's being very toolish about it. And, like I say, at the end, I like he gets respect and all that, but it's it's very distracting from a very serious and worthwhile plot. Like I say, I'm not going to tell you the ending, but you'll probably be able to guess the ending. But it's still interesting. There's still some good twists that I won't ruin for you. And this is a pretty good episode. It certainly is essential if you want to follow the story of the Maquis. This is, their, this is the end, even though, really, the end happened before this episode. But this is the episode that talks about the end. And it's tragic, and it's noble at the same time. You know, the end really does rely relate to what the Maquis are, which is, you know, a Robin Hood group. They're the one, the the noble outlaws fighting for what's right. You may not agree with them, but you can't help but admire that. You know, they're they're putting their money where their mouth is, and they're actually getting down and doing things. Um, yeah, not much more to say about this. We tie the bow off on that subplot and. We've got a couple more, and then the tide of everything will change for the rest of the show. We'll see you then.